Welcome to Soul Stirrings, a podcast where all things regarding faith, communication, and culture are considered. I'm your host, Paul Patton, and here's hoping for at least a couple of grins and maybe one strange amen. I wanted to take some time on another podcast to just uh, encourage listeners to make sure that they have determined, done the necessary investigative processes to identify a central confession worth memorizing and asserting, as was the practice of the ancient Jews and believing Jews of Shema, something reasserted, uh, memorized, and said aloud um, in the morning and at night. Um, I also wanted to talk uh, in this podcast about how to choose one and uh, even give some examples from my own experience about uh, Shema's that are especially meaningful for me. Strengthening and deepening your sacred interiority is part of a lifetime journey, of course, but it begins, as I've said earlier, with determining which central confession is worth reasserting daily, perhaps several times a day. And in the practice of Shema, a Jewish mitzvah, uh, sometimes it is reasserted aloud up to seven times a day. The daily practice of Shema in Judaism are prayer assertions from Deuteronomy, as mentioned before, that remind the wrestler with God of who they are before their creator, what it means to be human, where they are in the universe, the nature of reality and why they exist, ultimate issues of of purpose that we need to be reminded of in order to, of course, set our uh, moral compass and remind us of the central things. And the daily whirlwind of distractions that we all experience, distresses and competing voices, the Shema serves as a cognitive hub, a central assertion comprehensive enough to contextualize every other thought, big enough to build around and launch from. So I'm encouraging you to select a central confession For instance, consider memorizing the Apostles' Creed, which was one of three things that uh, Martin Luther would assert for his audiences that they should have memorized. The other was the Ten Commandments, and the third was the Lord's Prayer. If your church has a confessional statement, typically read aloud as a congregation, that would be something that should be considered seriously as a Shema. Consider memorizing it. And at first, memorize just one phrase at a time and read aloud the rest of the confession. In time, it can be, in the words of the Hebrew patriarchs, written on the tablets of your heart, something that I would describe as a metaphor for memorizing certain central truths. But in order for the confession to be a significant shaping influence on our thinking and supplementary Uh, conversations, it needs to be mentally retrievable, I would argue, on command. Again, memorize it one phrase at a time, 
a memorization pace you will discover only with experience, only with effort, only with trying. For some it means one phrase per day. Others it will mean one phrase per week. If it is chosen as a central confession, then it warrants the daily efforts to reassert it. And again, to allow it to serve as a Shema. Again, it is a central confession comprehensive enough to contextualize every other thought, big enough to serve as a foundation for our desires, for our ideals, for our vision. The Shema, operationalized for the Christian, might also include any covenantal statement you have made in your life. Of course, the Bible warns us not to take our covenants lightly. However, many of us are overwhelmed by the cacophony of voices competing for our attention. We have a difficult time remembering just what we have promised and to whom. If our overarching promises made to God, our marital partners, our children, our churches and communities are to be enlivening and a significant portion of our thought and conversation, then they need to be regularly reaffirmed and in the spirit of Shema even daily asserted aloud. Again, this is the idea behind Shema. You might want to be thinking, okay, what might be a, a good central confession for me now? Well, for instance, if you've made a, a marital promise before God and family and friends, um, you might want to consider memorizing or revisiting those vows and memorizing them and saying them aloud. It doesn't need to be in front of your marital partner, but before God to be reminding yourself of the promises, the covenants that you made that are going to be shaping uh, uh, and informing other, other directional decisions. Um, again, the central confession best serves our memories, our conscience, and our analytical thinking. When, like, again, the Jewish practice of Shema, it is repeated aloud, at least daily. Another idea might be if your um, uh, work situation, if the institution that you serve in, in the workplace has a mission statement, consider memorizing that and uh, saying it aloud, uh, at least daily. And again, you're going, to, you're going to figure out your memorization pace as you practice, as you practice, but it's important to review them daily as best you can. Um, I contend, and I've, I've said this a variety of times to a variety of audiences, is that unless an institution, uh, an institutional mission vision statement is memorized, it generally becomes something that is merely, unfortunately, dead on a page. Again, the Shema is repeated at least daily. And when this happens, it becomes fastened like a cognitive resting place, a foundation, stone for the mind, a place to lower our inquiring and novelty-seeking anchor. And the fastening is, of course, an act of worship, an act of litany, performed daily. It can be said aloud passionately every day as a reminder of one's ultimate purpose. I'd like to 
share one of my shamas, and it was something um, penned by my uh, my mentor, the late uh, wonderful John Peck, a British philosopher and Baptist pastor who uh, profoundly shaped my thinking. And he shared with me his vision for the church. Uh, and as an actor uh, and as a performer and as somebody very interested in, in finding things worth memorizing, things potentially that could become shamas, I... I, I, I share this and say this uh, aloud um, several times a week, and it's a great contextualizer for me um, of the church's mission uh, and my responsibility as a churchman. Uh, this is, again, John Peck's I Have a Vision. His vision is, I have a vision of a church whose worship seeks out all of the resources of its members and utilizes all of their skills, where the hymns are sung with zest, perception, and expression, and accompanied by every instrument that everyone can play. Anyone can play, including hands and feet and smiles, and where the unfamiliar music of another generation is learned until it's loved. I have a vision of a church whose liturgies are never mechanical and whose spontaneity is never trivial, where the least of its meetings are conducted like royal appointments and its greatest days are marked by solemn hilarity, where organizational efficiency is always at the service of caring love, where even poor efforts are done with painstaking diligence and commended with tolerant hope, and where brilliance of talent or mind only serves to light up Jesus Christ and his gospel, where no one hogs the limelight, no one gets too much attention, and no one gets left out. Of a church where outsiders get as much welcome as old friends, where no one stands alone unless they need to stand alone, where the awkward ones are accepted and the pleasant ones are disturbed by hard realities, where the first to hear a complaint is an offender, is the offender, and the last to err it is the sufferer, where people's interests are worldwide, without being worldly and personal, without being petty. I have a vision of a church which shares an invincible passion for learning and giving, whose life is energized by a glad acceptance of the cross as a way of life, whose self-critical humor sets people at ease and whose self-denials disturb and brace them, whose sympathies are so warm and imaginative that no one has the nerve to indulge in self-pity and whose ideals are so high that slightly soiled notions are shamed into silence. I have a vision of a church whose convictions are firm without being rigid, whose tolerance extends even to the intolerant, whose life is an admonition, whose love learns even from its opponents, and whose faith is infectious. I have a vision of a church that is like that because from time to time it hears its Redeemer's voice speak with such authority that nothing will do but obedience, nothing matters but God's love. And others coming in can only wonder and wish and ask. And as I've mentioned, that was from the heart and mind of a mentor of mine, the wonderful, the late John Peck. In my next podcast, and what will be the the concluding uh, podcast on the topic, Stewarding the Stirrings of the Soul, I want to spend more time uh, building around Shema and, and helping 
you think about what are the truths, the insights that are worth memorizing and give a variety of biblical examples and examples from history of people who built the mind, built their mind uh, by stewarding the stirrings of the soul. Again, thanks for joining me today on Soul Stirrings. Mm-hmm.